Welcome to Ophthalcast, the audio podcast channel dedicated to ophthalmology. We are a team at Ophthalcast who strive to provide you audio talks on ophthalmology which are more practical and easily understandable, targeted at students and residents alike. As of today, our listeners number around 4500. This podcast channel featured in one of the presentations at Stanford University during the Medicine X conference in April 2017. Thank you all for your support. Today's episode is on binocular vision, which seeks to answer the question, why two eyes? This episode is dedicated specially to Dr. Daniel Wang, one of our ardent listeners who is an ophthalmology resident from University of Illinois. Thank you Dr. Daniel Wang for your inspiring email. Since the time we know, we have two eyes. Why two? Let's seek the answer. Not only humans, cows, tigers, cats, dogs, frogs, almost all the species in this universe have two eyes. Couldn't we have lived well enough with just one? No. The benefit of two eyes are many. The major ones I would like to elaborate with comparisons to the animal kingdom. In the wild, there are two types of animals: the prey and the predator. Prey as in cows, deers, horses etc and predator as in tiger lion frog etc if you notice the prey group has their eyes on the sides of their heads and the predator group have in front of their heads as wise men say the prey need to be aware of his surroundings looking out for the predator it needs to cover more ground at any given time The side-mounted eyes gives the maximum field of vision. In terms of clock hours, the two eyes of the cow miss only about 2 clock hours of field. He is happy grazing in open grasslands since he can see nearly all around. Then what about the predator? What does the predator do with two eyes? Here, the wolf needs to know the distance of the prey before he pounces. That is made possible by the use of two eyes. The two eyes give something called as depth perception. Now let's talk about depth perception. What is depth perception? Let us try explaining with sound. If somebody just yells your name from your right side, how do you figure out the location? Because your right ear will hear it louder than your left. So your brain tells you that somebody on your right is calling you. There is a dissimilarity in the sound heard from your two ears. Somewhat similar process happens with our eyes. They see dissimilar. When we look at the same point with both of our eyes, both the eyes see the object at the same time and the eyes uses its accommodation. to focus at that particular object however there is a slight similarity in the images perceived by each eye the dissimilarity is in the light shadows size orientation etc 
This dissimilarity is processed by our brain to give a three-dimensional image in the occipital cortex. Now that you started getting the hang of it, let us introduce some jargons into this conversation. We look at one object. We fix the gaze on it. This is obviously known as fixation. Your eye is fixed at a given distance from you. The arc formed at this distance from you is called horopter. So everything that lies on the horopter is in focus for you without changing the accommodation. Imagine you're reading a book. You are at a line focused on it. The line you're reading is on the horopter. Notice that the line above and the line below is in focus as well. You can see few lines above and below clearly. So there is a range. A zone on either side of the horopter remains in focus. This zone or area is known as Panem's fusional area. Anything outside this area will appear too. Try it while reading a book, it works. In short, the two eyes have slightly different images at any given time. The ones on the horopter, that is, the object in focus, is the clearest single image. Objects within Panem's fusional area also appear single, but they are not as clear as the ones exactly on the horopter. However, your brain manages to fuse these images and you see them single. Beyond the Panem's fusional area, the brain sort of gives up. The dissimilarity in the images are beyond what the brain can fuse, leading to double images. Now let's see the basis of stereopsis. Firstly, both the eyes should be able to perceive images simultaneously at any given time. That means the brain should process the image from your right eye as well as the left eye. There are some situations where the brain suppresses the images from one of the eye. We will come to it later. So both the eyes should be able to work reasonably well independently when separately checked. This is known as simultaneous perception. Once the two eyes are able to see the images separately, the brain then learns to fuse these images. If the right eye is seeing a person waist above and the left is seeing waist below, the brain should be capable of fusing these images to see a complete human being. This is known as the development of fusion. First, we made both eyes see one object simultaneously. Then the image got fused. Now comes the analysis. The brain analyzes the object in image of one of the eyes and compares it to the other. By looking at the finer differences in the images generated by the fact that both our eyes are spaced away from each other, the brain generates a three-dimensional perception in our visual cortex. This is known as stereopsis. These stages are gradually acquired by visual behavior. A newborn human being spends about eight years of its initial lifespan developing the capability of depth perception through these stages.
any interference to these stages within these formative years of life will adversely affect the capability of stereopsis. How do these interferences happen? In case a child has a congenital cataract, which has not been corrected immediately, the child will not have simultaneous perception, the first step. The same is true in all cases where the vision is deprived since birth. For that matter, even a small period of lack of vision during these formative eight years will hinder in the complete development of simultaneous perception. What if the newborn has a unilateral refractive error? That is an isometropia. In this case, the child creates images in his brain from both his eyes. In high refractive errors, the image quality is affected. If the right eye sees a sharp image of a tree, the left eye will see a blurred tree. With maintained simultaneous perception, the child will see a tree with blurred borders. The brain will then refuse to fuse the images since the brain is unable to get similar points in the images good enough to act as an anchor point for fusion. This hinders the development of stereopsis. Further, imagine the child has strabismus. Even with a normal visual equity, the eyes would be looking at different objects with both eyes at any given time. This also causes a cortical confusion. In such cases, the brain has to choose between the capability of a good visual acuity and stereopsis. The human being ends up preferring good visual acuity without the confusion. In an anisometropic patient, where there is a difference of visual acuity more than what the brain can work with, the brain has an option of suppressing the bad eye. This is known as amblyopia. Amblyopia is a protective mechanism to prevent diplopia and confusion at the cost of stereopsis. Why only anisometropia? In case a child or even an adult has any ocular unilateral condition affecting the visual acuity, the brain can even cause a strabismus which results in separation of fields. In case a child has strabismus, both the eyes look at different targets. These images do not make sense when the brain tries to fuse them. The center of both images are different since each eye is looking at different objects. This causes the brain to turn off one of the eye to prevent this mismatch and resulting confusion. This is known as strabismic amblyopia. These adaptive changes occur till the completion of development of stereopsis, that is, about 8 years of age. In case the errors in vision occur after the formative years of development of stereopsis, there is no losing of stereopsis, but the adaptive changes occur. More towards strabismus and rarely towards amblyopia. Since there is no amblyopia, the patient continues to see with both eyes equally well, but due to acquired adult onset strabismus, the eyes see different objects at the fovea. Even with the dying desire of the brain to suppress one image, 
it is unable to do so after crossing the formative years of stereopsis. The brain is left with only one option. Deviate the eye so that the visual fields don't overlap or else the patient has to live with a highly disturbing diplopia. This forms the basis of adult-onset sensory deviations. Those patients with adult-onset deviations continue to complain about their diplopia. There are grades and methods of assessing stereopsis. The grades are the different steps in the development of stereopsis during the visual maturation. Testing of the grades is done by a synaptophore and graded as no binocular single vision grade 0, simultaneous perception grade 1, fusion grade 2 and stereopsis grade 3. An extent of testing can be done with worth 4 dot test or Bagolini's glasses. The grade 3, that is the stereopsis, is further quantified using different charts. The charts presently available are Titimus fly chart, Randor chart, etc. The principles and testing methodology will be discussed in part 2 of this topic, which will be released shortly. This talk on depth perception and binocular vision will be incomplete without the mention of simulated stereopsis. This is the process by which we achieve the sense of depth perception, albeit incomplete, using a single eye. In such situation, the brain utilizes something known as monocular visual cues. These cues are simple interpretations from the image which enable the cortex to judge the distance and depth. It's like a painting. If a tree covers a part of the house, then the tree is towards you and the house should be behind it. Such cues are derived from size, shadows, position, etc. These cues help in depth perception, in a mixed and familiar image. Not in a blank background or new surroundings with new objects. Monocular cues are more susceptible to optical illusion. Heard about trick photography? With this, we have reached the end of today's episode. Look out for part 2 of this episode in which we will cover the quantification and practical applications of stereo acuity. Hope you have enjoyed this episode. That's all for now. It's Team Off The Cast signing off. Do keep us updated on our email offthecast at the gmail.com or on our website www.offthecast.com with your comments, feedbacks and demands. Subscribe to us on all leading podcast players by searching for Off The Cast. These audios are in no way a replacement to your standard textbook. We strive to be factually correct, but to err is human. Keep us posted if you disagree with anything that has been said in these recordings. We would be happy to make amendments with due credits. Thank you for being with us and giving us your valuable time. Goodbye and Godspeed. <laughs>